quick advertisement. This podcast is all about finding food freedom, and for many of you, that means freedom from binge eating. If you've been struggling to keep certain trigger foods around the house because you're afraid that you'd finish them all in one sitting, if you feel like every day is a battle against your cravings, if you can't be trusted around certain foods, then there's a good chance you've been told the lie that if you could have more willpower, you'd stop binge eating. There's one person who gets it. It's Sabrina, intuitive eating coach and founder of the Food Freedom Academy. Sabrina Magnan was a guest on our show a few weeks ago to talk about her story battling with disordered eating and chronic dieting. She knows the loneliness, shame and isolation that come along with struggles with binge eating, something that she battled for years of her life. And she was always told that if she had more self-control, tried harder, stuck to her plan better or just cut her trigger foods out, she would be able to stop binge eating. But what she came to find out was that willpower is not the solution. In fact, the more willpower you try to have, the worse the behavior can get. And now after finding true food freedom and completely overcoming binge eating, Sabrina is pulling back the curtain on what it truly takes to break free from the binge in cycle without using willpower in her brand new free seven-day intuitive eating challenge. During this three-part challenge, you're going to discover the three top reasons you binge eat and actionable strategies to overcome them. Imagine feeling at peace around food, eating your favorite foods without fear of losing control, regaining your confidence and no longer letting food control your life. Join a community of like-minded individuals who understand your struggles, led by an expert coach who's been where you are and knows the path to freedom. You deserve more than quick fixes and band-aid solutions. This free challenge will give you the tools and guidance to overcome the root causes of your binge eating. Sabrina's challenges are known to be truly life-changing and this is her best one yet. To sign up, you can go to the link in our show notes or head to the link www.sabrinamagnon.com forward slash binge challenge. Link in the show notes. Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have a returning guest to the podcast and I am talking to Maria Ginyasu who's a psychologist trained in Argentina and qualified psychotherapist in the UK. Maria is based in Brighton. Maria's approach intersects existential therapy and somatic psychology, and she is passionate about looking at a wide variety of tools that might suit her clients towards growth, healing, transformation, and embodied presence. Maria's work is focused on the relationship between body, emotions, thoughts, and imagination. And for some clients, she uses creative writing, drawing or movement as other tools to explore a world beyond verbal communication. Maria offers therapy in English and Spanish. At the moment, Maria is in her third year of her doctorate in psychotherapy and counselling psychology. And her doctorate research is looking at the lived experience of male therapists working with male clients with disordered eating. In the podcast today, we do a deep dive into Maria's research work, exploring some male therapist experience of working with male clients with disordered eating. It's a fascinating topic where Maria talks about her inspiration for the work and what led her down this path, how the male experience of eating disorders can be very different from that of the female one, 
about creating safe spaces for males to open up about disordered eating without shame and embarrassment and where they can feel vulnerable. Body objectification, the influence of philosophical thought and much more. Maria is absolutely passionate about her research and I know that you will be inspired and intrigued by everything she has to share here. So much value in this episode. Let's get to the conversation. Hi, Maria, and welcome back to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. Hi, Harry. How are you? Nice to see you again. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, great to have you. I know we were just reflecting before we were on air that you were one of my first people I had on my podcast, (laughs) I think, back in the very early days of 2020 and the pandemic. (laughs) I know. Yeah, it feels ages ago. (laughs) So Maria, for people that don't know you, could you introduce yourself, please, the listeners? Sure. Yeah. So my name is Maria. I was trained as a psychologist in Argentina. Then I moved to the UK 11 years ago. I'm a psychotherapist and I'm in my last year of my doctorate in counseling psychology. And I'm currently doing my research on the experience of male therapists working with male clients with disordered eating behaviours. Mm, well, sounds a very interesting subject. <laughs> so, Maria, what inspired you to do this research? Yeah, sure. So, basically, I as when I was training back home, I was very interested in the body, and particularly, I got very interested in like body image. Growing up in Argentina, as a country who Sadly, there's a lot of struggles around that. There is a lot about the macho culture. There's a lot of like the women being objectified. So, of course, the social media. But there's something about the messages and how we, in a way, see a good looking person that started kind of like I started getting quite curious about it. And also, I grew up as a dancer. So, I've always been really interested in the body. And I have seen and also experienced myself the struggles around, you know, being chosen because you have the good body or the good enough body that could perform well and being aware of what you eat, because if not, you're not going to fit in that kind of dress. So all this kind of things, I was quite curious. And also I was extremely sad, you know, but I was quite curious, like, what is this about? What is this all about? And then in a way, when I moved to the UK, I started working at Amy Whitehouse Foundation, which I was working with women struggling with eating disorders and addictions. And I know last time that we spoke, we spoke about my training in California. And um, I don't know if you remember Tamalpa, you know, the life app process. Yeah. Yeah. So that's when I also started kind of, in a way, getting very curious on how to bring the body into the therapy room. You know, I was very interested in the theoretical aspect back home. And then it's like, okay, how can I sort of, in a way, merge my two passions? And so then kind of talking to my supervisor, said, like, I have this idea, you know, I would like to talk about like the body in the therapy room in the context of eating disorders. And then it was something about like, well, but Susie Olba had has done that. <laughs> so then I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. So, you know, when you're doing a doctorate, you just have to think a little bit about something that hasn't been done, something that is like unique. And then talking with her that, to be honest with you, I'm extremely, extremely grateful that I have a wonderful supervisor who has helped me a lot and truly believes in me. So it's been really beautiful that I'm always going to be grateful. 
So that, what about the male experience? Because we don't actually know a lot about it. Still, there's so many questions about the female experience, but the male experience seems like very underreported, misunderstood. There's a lot of stigma around it. And I was like, okay. So then I started doing all my research. And the more I started like getting into it, the more I got like, wow, this is just a lot about like masculinity, about like male body, about how the gaze of the other in a way impacts the perception that this man has about their own body. So that's, you know, kind of in a nutshell, that's what inspired my project and my interest in this. Mm, yeah, they're really interesting. So a lot of that's from your own experience and growing up in Argentina, but then, yeah, and that's sort of like sort of has really developed and you got into your research. And I think it's sort of fascinating as well that you have decided to do a more of a deep dive into the male experience. Mm -hmm. I think it, it is really sort of under-researched, isn't it? And the focus yeah. is still predominantly on females, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. And there's just something quite interesting that as a researcher because you know when you're like when you're a psychotherapist you know you have this you know how to conduct the you know the questions and the sessions but being a researcher is different right but at the same time you want to connect with your participant so being a female researcher was quite interesting for me of bringing this sort of like not knowing stance because even though you know like I said, in Argentina, the macho culture, and I have like two older brothers and kind of in a way observing how is that, how has it been for them being like, you know, this two, like, you know, these two men in a country that praises a sort of like the macho, the kind of like good looking guy has to go and get the girls, you know, kind of like that kind of sort of narrative and the struggles around like the competition with other male I found out oh this is this is quite interesting and in a way I don't know how does it feel having that so it kind of made me feel a little bit more curious talking to my participants has also been like the most yeah one of the most interesting experiences that I have ever had because I've learned so much from them Harriet so much that I was just like wow now I feel like I still have so much to learn, right? But I feel like, wow, now I can get a little, I can understand a little bit, like, how does it feel, you know, being a man and struggling with food and struggling with your body and how in a way, you know, you feel like what all of them share with me is like, there is this lack of recognition of like, oh, do I need help of like how I relate with food? Because this is a female issue, you know, in inverted commas, you know. So now I'm fine. So then they don't reach out. And they suffer on their own. And there is this sort of pain around it that, to me, it seems so important that hopefully if any male I listen to this episode could reach out and, yeah, and ask for help from professionals. Hmm. So could you say a little bit, Maria, about how research is sort of set up? Like how many sort of like therapists, you know, and clients did you get on board? And how did you go about like recruiting these people? Oh, yeah. How to say that's the most painful thing about research Harriet like it's mm. something I look at oh my god when especially you know as a kind of beginner you know research I like yeah I'm gonna for the participants it's gonna be fine and then you're like oh it's really difficult but I was very lucky that I basically put a lot of like you know posters things on my social media not LinkedIn I contact organizations and I was lucky enough that I needed eight participants because you know it's a qualitative study and 
all of them kind of contact me really quickly. So like, yeah, Maria, I work with clients that fit this criteria. We'd love to talk to you. I think it's a very important topic. It needs to be out there. So I was like, wow, kind of in a way that said a lot about like how male therapists feel a little bit like isolated in a way of like, what do I do about it? Because interestingly, all of them said that they feel like female therapists are more equipped to support this clients because they understand it a little bit more. They probably have more experience working with female clients. So there is something about feeling this skill as well and feeling a little bit about, oh, how can I support them? And also, how do I feel about my own body when talking to clients about their own body? Yeah, so it happened quite organically that they started contact me. And then one of the participants said to me, like, I have a colleague that I talked to them about your project. Would you like me to pass your details? I was like, oh, yes, please. So I think I was very, it was a lot of work. But then once it was out there, yeah, I had a lot of responses. But and also a lot of people telling me, really interesting subject, but I have only worked with female clients. So I cannot sort of help. Oh, no, fascinating. And what kind of symptoms were the sort of male participants sort of exhibiting around sort of disordered eating and body image mm-hmm. issues? Yeah. One thing that I want to say is like I only recruited therapists. Yeah. I didn't interview clients. So it's all kind of talking about the male therapist experience. So when it comes to the symptoms, like there was a variety of things that they share, but there was a lot of binge eating, Harriet, like a lot, a lot, a lot. And there was a lot of in relation to obesity as well. And there were a couple of clients that they were sharing around restricting food. Yeah. And also using cannabis in a way to sort of like keep, you know, like not keep this sort of hunger in check. So there was this therapist that shared with me that was working with this client that were just like he would do a lot of exercise, swimming, running throughout the day, and then would not eat, and then would have a joint, try not, you know, not to sort of feel hungry, and then would just eat something, and that's it. But we feel good that they exercise the whole day. The cannabis will help them not to get too hungry, and then they would just eat something, and that's it. So that was a little bit of the cycle, you know, that they will find themselves in. And then, like I said, a lot of binging. Mm, sure, and that's really, really interesting. And were the sort of participants as well, you know, mm. from obviously what the therapist described, were a lot of them as well, like the client you've just described there, sounds like mm. they were sort of really into sort of fitness, doing a lot of exercise. Yeah. And I think the stereotype more for males getting into disordered eating is more via the fitness route, perhaps, yeah. you know, in Absolutely. combination with the eating. And it was, is that what you found in your research? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a lot of desire around like having... This is a very interesting point because we need to understand that the male experience is very different from the female experience. So there's a lot around like having a body that feels strong, you know, muscly, like fit, you know, that that's how they in a way perceive it as sexually attractive. So in a way there was, yeah, like a lot of fitness, a lot of weight, you know, going to the gym a lot fasting, not eating for really, really long periods. But then, when the anxiety kicks in, then they would just eat a lot, a lot, a lot, and then go back to the gym and try to burn all those calories, you know? So yeah, it's very related to fitness and it's very related to the idea of having a very strong, fit body, you know, that is muscular. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, and it's sure. So much more of that emphasis on being strong, muscular, fit, maybe rather than, I guess, 
again, for females, you tend to associate disordered eating, eating disorders more with the pursuit of thinness. Although I think it has, you know, it's cut with the wellness culture is a lot of like about leanness and fitness as well, isn't it? Exactly. Exactly. But with men, it sounds like, yeah, it's definitely more about being strong, muscular, fit rather than thin. Yes. Yeah. And having, you know, yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's also very important to understand that whenever, you know, when thinking about this therapist working with this male clients, that probably the interests are quite different. But that being said, as we know, there's no one size that fits all, right, Harriet? So we might find yeah. male clients that they're kind of, in a way, pursuing the same thing as a female. But we need to understand, we really need to get into, like, what's going on here? You know, get it, like, get mm. phenomenological in that sense that I quite like that way of looking at it. Mm, sure. And I guess I'm thinking as well, like, so many of these clients as well, perhaps initially wouldn't have even thought they'd had an issue, would they? Because I think mm-hmm. often within mm-hmm. the fitness world, it's very sort of praised, isn't it, to be pursuing that physique and to be following perhaps slightly what you could argue could be slightly disordered eating patterns. And, mm-hmm. you know, you might not even realize there was a problem. I think even with binge eating, people might kind of see that as their kind of treat day or something. Of or, course. Yeah. Of course. Mm. So that's interesting as well, isn't it? I guess that, and it's really great to see, I guess, that these people did actually end up in therapy and they recognized there was an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the interesting thing that all of them said to me, my A participants, is that we're talking about A participants, right? But none yeah. of them reported that the client sort of contacted them because they had a disordered eating behavior. Um, interesting. You know, because they were struggling with like anxiety, but like low mood, you know, because they were struggling with their identity. They were kind of struggling a little bit with their like masculinity, but the eating disorder sort of in a way started sort of appearing throughout the development of the therapeutic process. So interestingly, one participant told me that the client revealed the eating disorder a year after working with him. Mm. Okay, fascinating, actually. And I guess it's not so unusual. I'm thinking even with a lot of females, I know that I've worked with as well, they say sometimes, yeah, I've had therapy before, but, you know, we never really talked about the eating because of, you know, they went for other issues. So it's not unusual, I guess, is it? Absolutely. Yeah, no. And also because, you know, all these therapists, they don't, in a way, on the websites and, you know, the profiles, they don't sort of put it as their expertise you know, their eating disorder. Mm. Yeah. So in a way, you know, they're not expecting that the client would sort of have contact them because of that necessarily. Yeah, no, no, I so agree. And, you know, I understand, I think for a lot of people as well, it's perhaps it's time limited therapy and you're focusing on a specific issue and there's enough other stuff to to deal with, isn't there? It's kind of, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So Maria, can you say a bit more then about the male therapists experience Mm. being in the therapy room with these participants yeah so there were a few things at the moment I'm doing so I have submitted my preliminary results which is basically the results of like one participant at the moment I'm looking at like you know all the transcripts you know of the other participants and one of the things that I have found it quite interesting is like like all the participants all the therapists in a way experience this sort of this frustration around can you just see what I see you know you're a healthy man one of the participants is really good looking man you have this and that and that you know there was something about thinking about the goodness of this clients and all of them expressed their frustration 
and wanted to give the clients this wake-up call. But sometimes feeling like, how can I do that in relation to your eating disorder behavior? Mm -hmm. And that's when this male therapist, I feel a little bit in a way, yeah, like not, I don't know if the word is, one of them said a little bit like de-skill, you know, but like feeling like I need to get the right support from my supervision, you know, from my peers, sort of the like, how can I address this? Because all of them reported feeling quite frustrated. And also feeling like, where are we going with this? You know, are we avoiding this? Like both of us, we're avoiding this in the therapy room. Mm. And that has been itself very, very interesting. And another thing that they reported, all of them, is like this intention, which to be honest with you, I find it really, really, really inspiring. This true intention of wanting to create spaces for male clients to explore their masculinity, to explore their vulnerability, you know, to explore that they can find this as spaces to feel safe, to get in touch with their feelings, to understand the relationship with food, to understand what's the role that these behaviors around food are having in their lives. Yeah. What does it say about their relationships? What does it say about that? Like, you know, childhood relationships so that has been quite touching the commitment that these therapists want like to create as male therapists because as we know Harry, this world is very female oriented right that's psychotherapy so you find more female psychotherapists as opposed to male <laughs> mm. but it's changing I think but still you know they do feel this guys which they all said it they sometimes feel that they're a minority the male mm. therapists so having these clients I said like I want to talk to another male therapist about my body and create this sort of vulnerability around that. All of them have found it really, really fascinating, but really humbling. And all of them talk in a very sensitive way, which to be honest with you has been really fascinating. You know, when doing the transcripts, I'm feeling like, wow, it's incredible to see that now we're seeing more male therapists engage in this process. I think it's really positive and really inspiring. Mm. Yeah, I think really positive and inspiring because I guess without those safe spaces where men can be more vulnerable and look at the kind of deeper issues, you're not going to really help someone to heal, are you? You know, because it seems like it's, I guess like with kind of with females where you sort of, you know, you sort of think it feels like it's all about thinness. It's all about kind of body image. It's all about the food, but it's often about so much more and I guess exactly the same with men isn't it it's just like the presentation the surface presentation is different about being strong and muscular etc but actually underneath it's all about the feelings and how they feel about themselves deep down things that happened to them you know those deeper issues yeah and also exploring a little bit their shame you know Mm. one of my participants talk about the shame that they feel like you know talking about this again feeling like is this a female thing? You know, am I taking that space? You know, because a female should be talking about being objectified by the gaze of the other. You know, I shouldn't be talking about this because that's a female experience, which we know it is and which we know like for all the reasons it needs to be explored that further. But there's something about like, yeah, but let's talk about your experience and how you have felt and how the gaze of the other might be objectifying also your male body. And I think that, you know, that has been really fascinating to sort of, in a way, yeah, bring the sort of like the honesty and the rawness of that experience. And then in a way, 
you know, that one of the things that they also talk about is how the therapists themselves are part of this, they're part of this social discourses around masculinity, right? Especially we're talking about Western social discourses have like, what does it mean having an a male body that feels sexually attractive or that, you know, it's considered acceptable and how they, in a way, they have thought a little bit about like, oh, do I actually have this body, you know? And one of them said that when the client was talking about this particular client about like, you know, exercising and not eating for the whole day, the participant was telling me that sometimes I think about like, should I try to do the same thing? You know, he has a really nice body, you know, and kind of in a way, the seduction around the hunger and like the striking, you know, for this, which I find it really interesting because in a way, tell us like as therapists, we're also part of the social discourses. Time for a short advertisement break. Now, I know we talk a lot about food freedom on this podcast and how important it is to take care of yourself mentally and physically as you learn to navigate a culture inundated with toxic messaging. One of the best ways to take care of yourself is through exercise. But I know it can be really hard to find an exercise program that isn't rooted in these toxic messages and doesn't feel triggering. Well, I recently met Katie, the owner of an amazing new exercise company called We Shape. And We Shape doesn't focus on calorie counting, tracking, how much you work out, or making you feel bad about your body to get you motivated. Instead, they create a customized exercise routine for you that helps you connect with and care for your body rather than feeling pressure to change it. They help you learn to set intentions that come from a place of self-care rather than self-judgment and they support you every step of the way with an amazing community and live coaching so you can make exercise a self-care practice that helps you feel better in your body and about your body. Plus, they're giving listeners of the show the chance to try it out for two full weeks for free. Just head on over to www.weshape.com forward slash freedom or check out the link in the show notes to get started today. Yeah, and it's so helpful, isn't it? I guess the therapists have just been able to be just so honest and open because I think it's something that we all struggle with, isn't it? You know, in a way, absolutely. we're working so hard to sort of, you know, even working in therapy and supporting clients where my cat is meowing like mad in the background. I was hoping coming out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um, so nice. Yeah. Oh, sorry, I've lost my train of thought there. No, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, no, the no, honesty, the honesty yeah. of the therapist, I think, yeah, because we're yeah. All, we are all seduced in a way, I think, aren't we, by, you know, and I'm just thinking about just a lot of the kind of the mainstream podcasts that are very credible and, you know, in many ways, really informative and helpful. But definitely the nutrition piece is always about like intermittent fasting or kind of quite extreme regimes. Yeah. And they're very kind of held up on this kind of seductive pedestal, aren't they? And yeah, I think we can all be very drawn into that and very interesting for the therapist sitting in the room with the client, I guess, who has this body that is very sort of objectified and celebrated within the culture being able to identify themselves how like should I be doing this too or you know being open about that yeah no no I was like oh that's again you know it's kind of like that's really interesting because in a way you know then he said like no but I don't relate to my clients disordered eating behavior but I do kind of wonder like, hmm, how would that look like? You know, so this is kind of like the questioning because I also we say like talking like very, you know, honestly on board, like what well, he looks great, he was saying mm. to me. So it's like, oh, maybe if I try the same thing, I would look the same. 
So all these fantasies, you know, that we also have as therapists, I think it's so important to sort of kind of understand them and get curious about it without feeling like, oh, no, 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 I shouldn't be thinking about this because then I'm not going to be a good therapist. But actually, it makes us like, whatever that means, good therapist, you know, kind of Mm. being in touch with this very honest thoughts and feelings. So I found that really interesting, the fact like how in a way there is this persuade, like you said, we get quite persuaded by these ideas and noticing that that's also part of the healing, right? Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. And I thought it was interesting as well about you talking firstly as well about the frustration that uh-huh. some of the therapists felt, because I think yeah. that is a very real thing sometimes working with people with eating disorders, because absolutely, there's a lot of ambivalence, isn't there? There's a lot of ambivalence about change, you know, because of a lot of things that we've been talking about in a way, because of yeah. People don't like their symptoms, they don't like the anxiety, the preoccupation with food or the exercise they have to do. But then on the other hand, if you're kind of being celebrated by society, if it feels like you're doing something good, if it's boosting your self-esteem in some ways, it's numbing your feelings. Yeah, you're in two minds, aren't you, about letting that go? And absolutely, I think you bring that ambivalence into the therapy room. And absolutely, I think client and therapist then experience that frustration sometimes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's something really interesting about how we could become part of their their identity, sorry, you know, and this eating disorder and how it's just so fundamental than in their like way of being in the world, you know, and, you know, a lot of clients that I have worked with, they have said like, well, like if I don't have this eating disorder, then what, you know, so it's just so kind of important sort of think about this frustration because that's probably what makes it kind of very difficult and you know that research says a lot like how difficult it could be working with this client population and how kind of in a way therapists and practitioners have reported again and again feeling frustrated feeling this skill because like you said there is this ambivalence this is kind of like this egocentric sort of nature of the disorder so to me addressing that has been really important and one of them was said like come on, you can do this. He was like, he was telling me that he was thinking in his mind, please. And having that kind of name in that frustration also allowed to understand a little bit like, okay, how is my frustration in a way impacting on the therapeutic relationship? Is this more about me and me wanted this person to bring the goodness? Or is it about that the person probably is still not ready? And how can I support them throughout this process? Mm, yeah I know so fascinating isn't it I think it really is and I'm just sort of thinking back to like the good old Maud's the animal model and you know because I think as a therapist you can be very sort of seduced into becoming the kind of rhino who wants to give yeah. advice and all of that and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we want to be the St Bernard and the dolphin don't we like you know just being very curious and compassionate and holding space isn't it for the ambivalence and allowing the client to explore yeah. all of that themselves Absolutely. Yeah. Which it is something, you know, so important, especially in the male experience, because yeah, that's that's the kind of bit that I'm doing a lot of research on. Mm. There's also this layer of like allowing the sort of shame to be there, unpacking the stigma. There's there's also something about like psychoeducation there as well. You know, like the participants were saying, like, it's also inviting the awareness that this is not just a female issue. And kind of in a way, creating that spaces for the person to sort of allow themselves to be like, okay, yeah, 
I'm a man and I'm also struggling with this and that's okay. And that doesn't mean that I'm less manly, you know. That's one of the things that they were talking a lot about, you know, how in a way all this male share some really intimate things about their food, but also about their like habits with other things like pornography, you know, and what does it say about the shame that they feel around that? And what does it say about the different parts of the body? So one of them was telling me that the client was telling them like, my hands are too small, my penis is too small, you know, I'm ugly, I'm fat. And the therapist feeling like, oh, I'm curious, like, what do you mean? Why is it so small? What does it mean too small? What does it mean too big? So, you know, there's something about body dysmorphia also that is quite important in the male experience as well. Oh, yeah, it sounds so helpful, doesn't it? Just, I guess just having that space just to kind of bring this all into the therapy room and really trying to reduce that stigma and that shame yeah. and giving yeah. like males permission to talk about these things. And so, just, so, yeah, so acknowledging the difference, I guess, between, yeah, yeah. yeah. So is there anything else, Maria, as well, that you think you wanted to sort of share about the therapist's experience or anything else about the research? It's quite a fascinating area. Yeah. So one of the things that I found really interesting was like, so like I mentioned before, before we started recording it, like I got quite inspired by, you know, three philosophers that in a way they have helped me to sort of see, you know, this project through their lenses in a way. You know, that's like kind of like my, put it like my theoretical sort of framework. And so I'm doing my training at NSBC and, you know, has a quite strong existential sort of component. And I brought this like three different philosophers and one was Michel Foucault, who talks a lot about power, you know, and how in a way, you know, like we have lots of different institutions that through the power, through them, like putting, like having power over us, they have control over our bodies. And I did find it really interesting to look at like the male experience through his lens and looking at like how in a way this male body starts losing its sort of identity, you know, start losing also their own version of masculinity, their own version of like manliness, their own version of like what does it mean to be a man? And when I'm saying their own version, it's like the person finding, embodying, like how does it feel inhabiting this body? And how does it feel inhabiting my own body? Which to me was really interesting because a lot of them sort of, a lot of participants talk a lot about that, like the idea of like male talking more about this and being a little bit more aware of inhabiting their own bodies. And another thing that was quite interesting, another philosopher was like Melo Ponti that talks a lot about like embodiment and talks a lot about like, you know, I am my body. So in a way that has been really interesting to connect that with the gaze of the other and me by me as in like, you know, a person sort of embodying this idea of like, I am my body. But that being said, What's the impact that the gaze of the other has on my definition of my body? I find it really interesting to look at also how in a way, not only women, but men were feeling kind of objectified by social media. And these days we know that. And, you know, like lots of like male teenagers are struggling a lot around that, like the videos on like TikTok on like how to have this kind of body, how to do this. And addressing that, I think, could be really important. So, yeah, it's kind of in a way, you know, like these philosophers, just to say it, like has had me a lot to give a little bit of a framework and all these concepts that we know, we talk about it through eating disorders, being really interested to see like how I can bring them into my my little world these days that is this research. <laughs> mm, 
Yeah, and no, it's so interesting. And just another thing, actually, with the participants as well, was yeah. it like a mix of like gay and straight men or? Oh, yeah, that's a really yeah. good question. So two of them were gay and the other ones were straight. Yeah. Mm. And the two of them that were gay, interestingly, they talk a lot about like this attraction that they had towards their client. And a little bit was telling about this participant that saying like, you're so handsome. There was something about, you talk a lot about like finding the client quite attractive. And in a way, one of the questions that he asked the client is like, how do you think I might see you? And the client was so, so gay. So there was something that the client said, oh, no, 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 I cannot answer that question. I don't know, I don't know. And then we had this really interesting conversation around stepping into a different sort of territory here, you know, and thinking about like the therapeutic boundaries and he was sort of questioning it like, did I went too far with that question? You know, there is a fine line between being relational because all of them reported wanted to be a relational therapist, wanted to be someone that they connect, that they co-create this space with their clients. None of my participants had a very, you know, like, kind of a psychoanalytic or psychodynamic that they probably created more like silences and they were not that active like all of them reported very being very active in their process you know not that I'm kind of like stereotyping you know psychodynamic therapist but there's something about kind of all of them reported being like yeah I'm very active in the room and that's the way that I work now I lost my train of thought (laughs) (laughs) you were saying like how in a way you know this kind of flirting a little bit this kind of how do you think I might see you another person feel like oh no no I cannot answer that question there was something about like wanted to create that rapport so important in therapy and we know that is so important when it comes to eating disorders but at the same time feel like oh no I just went too far here probably I'm finding this client quite attractive and that also comes my frustration that I want him to see what I see yeah mm which I found that like extremely interesting. And then another participant was telling me about, he was working with this other gay client, but like kind of 15 years younger than him. And there was this, he did this very interesting work in supervision in personal therapy of trying not to over-identify with a client because there was something about the client in a way seeing him as a sort of like, dad you know that could in a way support him towards their sexuality because the client didn't have it at home so and in a way he feeling like yeah he was telling me when the client was telling me I did this yeah I did that when I was like 20 I did that did that so I have to sort of also check a lot with my over identify myself with this client and there was also something about you know this idea of like the male body when it comes to dating apps in the gay community so we had this really interesting conversation around like how it could create another layer for this particular community mm-hmm. and how we could get also quite competitive and we're like oh my partner finds this person quite attractive oh what does it say about my male body so that's a whole different kind of conversation to talk about but I found it quite fascinating Mm, yeah I mean there's so many fascinating threads I think um endless yeah. <laughs> and I know Maria that you're kind of almost ready to be not doing quite so much research anymore aren't you but I think you're going to be like opening yeah <laughs> so many different to... avenues aren't you to explore yeah, potentially. yeah and you know like studied reading all this some like really incredible papers around like looking at like yeah the male body in the gay community and like 
again, underreported, you know, but quite, quite high rates of like people struggling in that community. And I found it like that's also very interesting. And there were a lot of comparison around like the impact that it also has on social media. And yeah, which to me is an area that we really, we really need to understand that a little bit more because there are a lot of people struggling in silence. And I don't know, as therapists, you know, psychologists and researchers, that's something that I think quite strongly about it. Like people having like more resources to hopefully understand their struggles and not have to do it on their own. Yeah, and sure. I don't know, Maria, if you're aware of, I think it's called Jack Rose. He was on my podcast. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think he's based in Wales, but he's done a lot of research around body image and the gay community. Ah, okay. Yeah, so definitely he might be someone that you want to get in touch with. And I'm just thinking for anyone listening as well who's interested in this whole topic, I think he was on my podcast sort of last autumn sometime if people want to look up that episode. And I'll try and remember to link it. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely would check him out. Yeah, thanks. Okay, Maria. So, I mean, I think I could talk to you endlessly about this because it's so fascinating. But, you know, where can people find you if they would like to maybe get in touch, find out more about the research, all of that good stuff? So my website, that's kind of the best sort of way to contact me. There is an area that you can email me, which, yeah, which will be great to hear from people. Any thoughts, any feelings, reflections, that would be great. Yeah. So I would say my website is like best way to contact me. And also I'm on social media, Instagram and LinkedIn. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll make sure we put all the links. Thank in the show you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Marie. Well, I'd just like to really thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I think, you know, such a fascinating area and you're obviously incredibly inspired by it all as well. And, you know, your enthusiasm is quite infectious. So, you know, thank you so much. I think it's going to be such a valuable piece of work and I'm sure it's going to be a springboard as well for, you know, many more kind of research projects and interest and understanding in this whole area around men and eating disorders, disordered eating. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Harriet. It's like, it's always really, really nice to talk to you. And I'm really happy that we reconnect. Yeah. After what, three years, right? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Okay. Thanks so much, Maria. Thank you.